0: Do you believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints? No. Each time we say the Apostles' Creed, we have affirmed our belief in the Holy Catholic Church. Throughout this series, we've been looking at phrases from the Apostles' Creed and asking, why do we say this? And what do we mean by it? In fact, in uh, In its original form, the Apostles' Creed was a series of questions that people could be asked. Do you believe in the Holy Catholic Church as a way to identify if someone is a heretic or not? Is this something that you affirm? There are many these days who do not believe in the church. It's a pretty popular position now to define yourself as someone who follows Jesus and his teachings, but not organized religion or the church. Maybe somebody here today identifies with this line of thinking. If so, we're glad you're here. That's okay. To be fair, there are lots of things to be anxious about when it comes to the church today. Gallup polls show that those who say they belong to a church in the U.S. was steadily around 70% to 75% from 1940 all the way up until the year 2000. In the low to mid 70%. Since the year 2000, that number has steadily declined. And in 2020, pre the, the mo- most of the pandemic... That number actually dipped below 50% for the first time to 47%. So there are less and less people every year who affirm still the statement, I believe in the church. There are lots of things to be anxious about when it comes to the church today. The pandemic of the last few years has certainly had a huge impact on this church and every church. There are lots of things to be anxious about when it comes to the church today. As things in politics have become more and more polarizing, issues in the church have as well. Those of you who follow what's going on in our own denomination know that in 2020, we were supposed to have a worldwide gathering called General Conference. This happens every four years, or so we thought, and it is the only place that the beliefs and practices of the United Methodist Church can be amended in any way. At the 2020 General Conference, the expectations were that once again the disagreements related to the area of human sexuality would be a primary issue. Some even believed this might be the year a separation could occur. Or could have occurred. But COVID 19 put a pause on General Conference in 2020. General Conference was postponed to 2021, then 2022, and now it won't happen until 2023 at the earliest. This leaves a lot of people in limbo, anxious about what will happen to the United Methodist Church there are plenty of things that cause anxiety when thinking about the future of the church. Whether it is declining attendance, the effects of the pandemic, denominational turmoil, or something else. Perhaps you feel anxiety about the future of the church. Now normally, a pastor will not get this far into a sermon without having read a scripture. (laughs) Normally, a scripture is the starting place, not reasons to be anxious about the church. The scripture should be the launching pad, the focus of the entire message. Doing things a little bit differently today, don't tell my seminary professors on me. Today, the scripture is going to be a destination of a journey we're going to go on Together. We're going to start right here in 2022. And we're going to travel back through time to the beginning of the church where the scripture we will read comes from. This is a bit unusual, but the hope is that we, me included, will gain some perspective about the church and where we are, where we fit within the life and history of the church. By doing this, I hope our anxieties will be relieved, and ultimately we will be able to leave here today affirming that we still believe in the church. Now, I'm standing about 20 feet from my Bible in front of the cross over there. Every foot represents about 100 years of history of the church. Specifically, the edge of the pulpit here is 20 feet from my Bible. We're going to specifically trace our Wesleyan branch of the church as we move backwards in time to come to our scripture for this morning. So if I was asked the question... That if this was where the church began, do you believe in the church? I would probably say no. If this was the beginning, right here and now, I might say no. Here we are at the end of a a pandemic, hopefully. But all this space between me and the cross represents a lot of church history. And so if here we are in 2022, I'm going to begin this journey by going all the way back to the beginnings of the United Methodist Church. Are you ready? The beginnings of this denomination that's causing a lot of anxiety in some people. I'm going to go all the way back. Are you ready? Here we go. About six inches. 1968. Now, I did this in the first service, I'm not asking anybody to raise their hands, but I know for a fact we have several people here today that are significantly older than the United Methodist Church. Am I right? Okay, so we didn't have to go back very far. That's not, 1968 is not very long ago to get to the beginnings of the United Methodist Church. Uh, If we were to go back to the beginning of Georgetown first, what it's now titled, First United Methodist Church, we would have to go back four times as far to the year 1817. Now, obviously not this building. I had to check the the quilt out front in the narthex to see the date that the church started. Some of your names are on that quilt. But the United Methodist Church is a fraction of the age of this body of Christians. You see John Wesley on the screen. John Wesley is thought to be the founder of Methodism. That's what we call him. He lived here in the 1700s. uh, And he was an Anglican priest, a priest in the Church of England. The Methodist movement that him and his brother Charles and their friends started was meant to be a renewal movement within the Church of England, within the Anglican Church. Here in the 1700s. And then if we go back to the 1500s, we're moving several feet now. We come to what we refer to as the Protestant Reformation. Now here we see a picture of Martin Luther nailing his theses to the the door. Uh, Him and others looked around and they saw greed and corruption had infiltrated the church. They saw uh, priests charging money to absolve sins. You want your sins forgiven? Come give me some of your money and I'll forgive your sins. Among other things going on. And Martin Luther and there were other reformers as well, they protested that. They said that's not the way it should be in the church. And they wanted reform. Their protest for reform is why we call this the Protestant Reformation. 1500s, and a little bit after. And then we can go back all the way to the year 1054. Those of you who like history or really know where I'm going each time I move. In 1054, we have what is called the Great Schism, where the church, which was just one strand before this, became two and split between the west and the east largely over just who got to be in power. It was around this same time, shortly after the official schism, that the church was weaponized uh, through the great, what we call the Crusades. This war from Christians uh, and and Muslims. The spread of Islam into the Holy Lands sparked this response uh, from the Christians in this crusade. This war where life was lost. And then we can go back before that in a time when there really was just one branch of the church. One of the things that held that branch together were these creeds. We're studying right now, we're in the midst of this series on the Apostles' Creed, but there are other creeds as well. It wasn't too long ago that we said the Nicene Creed in worship here. Um, You may have thought we were starting the Apostles' Creed and said, well, these words are different. Nicene's Creed Creed is actually a a little older. Uh, but in the, the 300s and the 400s and, and earlier than that, uh, really before their final forms, the leaders of the church realized this movement that we're a part of is growing and it's getting, it's getting to be a worldwide movement. And if we don't write down very specifically what we believe, then people in different areas are going to believe very different things. And we need to be able to, to be a little more organized in our beliefs to, to make sure we stay true to what the apostles Taught to make sure we stay true to what Jesus taught. And then we get all the way back to the destination of our journey, where we come to the scripture for this morning. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 18. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Right before this scripture that I read, two things happened in the preceding verses. The first is the story of Jesus taking bread and fish and multiplying the food and feeding the crowds. And then immediately after that, he has a run-in with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Immediately after multiplying these loaves and fish and feeding the crowd, they leave that region and the Pharisees and Sadducees came to him to test him. They asked for a sign from heaven. But Jesus Rebukes them and they leave, crossing to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Now, alone with his disciples, Jesus begins to warn them about the Pharisees. Jesus says, Watch out and beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. The disciples, like us sometimes, probably, ...were a little confused by Jesus' words. What's he talking about? Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees? And it actually says that they thought Jesus was mad at them... ...because they had forgotten to bring the bread. (laughs) He's mad at us because we didn't bring the bread that he wanted us to bring. Jesus has to explain it a little more... ...and after this confusion gets cleared up, they finally get it. Scripture says, then they understood that they had not told them to beware of the yeast of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's fresh in their minds that Jesus has fed this crowd out of his amazing power to multiply the bread. And he's fed the crowds with his bread that he has multiplied. But now he warns the disciples to watch out for what the Pharisees and Sadducees are feeding to the crowds. In doing this, Jesus is separating himself from what the predominant teachings of his day were. He's separating himself from the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But what shall that teaching be replaced with? And that's where we come to this story that I just read. Where Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say I am? And more importantly, who do you say I am? Jesus is setting up a new church. This is where we find Peter's confession of who he believes Jesus to be. Because it's when Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ... That Jesus decides it's time to set up this new church. Jesus is setting up a new church based on that confession. That Jesus is the Messiah or the Christ. The son of the living God. And once Peter has said that. Once Peter has understood that. Once he's got it. Jesus is ready. We're going to look closely at verse 18 now simply says this, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. My favorite commentary on the book of Matthew is by a man named Frederick Bruner, and he calls this paragraph that I read the most discussed paragraph in the Gospel of Matthew. This little story. The most discussed paragraph in the entire Gospel. And then when he gets to this ...verse in his commentary... ...he says that this sentence... ...is the most discussed verse... ...in the most discussed paragraph... ...of the Gospel of Matthew. Then he says... ...a great deal of the church's... ...right understanding of herself... ...depends on a right understanding... ...of this verse. A great deal of our understanding... ...of who we are as a church depends on how we understand this verse, Matthew 16, 18. See it on the screen. Look at it one more time with me. And what I want you to notice about it is several things. In English, we miss a wordplay that's going on here because we read Jesus say, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. But we miss the wordplay. Because the name Peter in Greek is Petros, which means rock. And so in Greek, it would sound more like this. You are Petros. On this Petra, the word rock, I will build my church. You are Petros. On this Petra, I will build my church. The equivalent in English would be, you are rocky. On this rock, I will build my church. You can't possibly miss the wordplay when we say it like that. You see, Jesus is particular when he chooses to start his church. Peter has just confessed Jesus as the Christ, the son of the living God. And now Jesus says, aha, on this rock, this is the rock. It's not just, it's not just Peter. It's the confessing Peter. It's not Peter at any time that will do. It's not because he's so special, he's the one. It's because he's the one confessing Jesus as the Messiah. Not any version of Peter will do. Only the one that is pointing towards Jesus as the Christ. Next, notice the pronouns in this next phrase. On this rock I will build... It's very specific. The verb to build in Greek can take what feels like a million different forms. It's very, very specific how this should be translated. In this case, the verb to build is put in the first person. So it becomes I build. It's very clear who is doing the building. It's also put in a a tense that means it's a future action. Something is going to happen. And so it gets translated into English as, I will build. It's something that Jesus is going to do. Jesus says very clearly, I will build. Jesus doesn't say to Peter, you are rocky, so go and build the church. He's saying he's the one ...that's going to do it. Next, notice the word my. In the structure of this sentence... ...the word my is... uh, ...there's an emphasis on it. There's different ways you can structure the sentences in Greek... ...and the way it is here... ...there's an emphasis on this little word... ...that we translate as my. So some would argue it should be translated... ...as I will build my own church, emphasizing who the church belongs to. Jesus is clear who the church belongs to. After declaring that Jesus will build his own church, he then declares that the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. He wants to make sure that what he's saying he will do, he is certain about. And so when we say the Apostles' Creed, or when I hear the question, do you still believe in the church? The answer is really very simple to me. The answer is, as long as we still affirm what's going on in Matthew 16, verse 18. As long as we still affirm these Main two concepts from this verse, that the church is built by Jesus and that the church belongs to Jesus. As long as we bring that truth from Scripture back into 2022 with us, then all of this mess of stuff that we go through in between, all of this that's a part of our history, and all of those anxieties that the future might hold for the church, I can look at all of that and still say, yes, I believe in the church because it's not my church and because it's not dependent on me to build it. Again, we face an uncertain future, but as long as we continue to affirm the continued action of building and the continued ownership of Jesus over his church. That gives me the confidence. That tells me that I can still be like those people on the road as Jesus was coming into Jerusalem waving the palm branches. We can still be a part of that church today. And affirm the King Jesus who rides on a donkey. A lowly donkey. I can affirm that this week during Holy Week as we think about the sacrifice that Jesus makes on the cross, I can certainly affirm it next Sunday when we gather back together here to celebrate the new life that Jesus gives to us and the new life that Jesus gives to his church. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for today. We thank You for Palm Sunday and the celebration that it is. And God, we thank You that when we look back through church history and see times of of joy and times of sorrow, when we see things that we might be ashamed of as a church or things we're proud of, Lord, we're thankful that through it all You are there, that You continue to go about the work of building Your church. Lord, may may we be a part of that here at Georgetown first. May we be a part of your church, not attempting to do our own thing from our own strength, but listening to your leading and your guidance. When we pray, come, Holy Spirit, come. Lord, we are asking for you to direct us, not just individually, but as a body, as a community together. We pray that you will move in this church, your church. In Jesus' name, amen.